0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: This is the Conversation Hour
2: on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. And there are lots of financial incentives for young doctors to relocate to regional and rural Victoria to help with the shortage of GPs everything from having your uni fees wiped to medicare bulk billing incentives to a large cash bonus in some areas
1: but those working and studying in another field of medicine some in their 10th year of study receive no incentives to move and could be the reason behind a growing regional problem you're talking about
2: vets there Rishan. good morning we have a veterinarian shortage in this state that's not new But people are waiting up to four weeks for their animals to be seen by a local vet, sometimes the only one in town. And many pet owners are having to make midnight dashes to city emergency vet hospitals.
1: And some in the industry are also concerned about the potential biosecurity issues that may arise with so many animals not being treated. So how do we entice vets to live and work in regional and rural Victoria? And is there a vet? shortage in your community
2: should vets receive the same incentives as doctors to move to regional victoria on abc radio melbourne and victoria
1: this is the conversation hour good morning my name's rochelle hunt and i'm based in melbourne And I'm Jonathan Kendall, and I am in sale. Lovely to be with you, Rish. A huge issue in regional Victoria, and as you said at the beginning, Jono, this is not necessarily a new problem, but it is certainly a problem that is getting worse, with many people waiting up to a month to be able to get their animals seen. And we know that animals don't give you a lot of notice that they're going to get sick and that something's (laughs) going to happen. And generally, when you need to see one... It's a little bit of an emergency situation.
2: Yes, that's right. And we've heard stories about vets who study for a long time. And as we're going to hear today, you do have to study for a very long time to become a vet. You study for a long time. And then we've heard stories about people leaving the profession after six months because you're on call 24 hours a mm-hmm. day. You're under a whole lot of pressure. And then there's the, the owners of pets and owners of animals putting pressure on you not to charge because, yeah. you
1: know, they're going through an emotional time. So it's a really, really tough job. But there are a lot of incentives to get young doctors to regional Victoria. We know there's also a GP shortage uh, across regional and rural Victoria but there are a lot of different incentives as we mentioned uh, in the introduction from having your hex wiped to bulk billing incentives through to even a large cash bonus to move to some areas. So do we need to look at some of these incentives to entice people, to entice vets to move to regional Victoria? And Jono, Chris emailed us. He lives in Ballarat and I guess he brought this back to our attention again. An issue that we know is not going away, but it's not until you hear from a local just how bad it's got. Chris, welcome. You sent us an email about Moose, your dog, your clumper Spaniel, a, a breed we'd never heard of. What? Tell us about Moose. What happened?
3: Hello there, Rochelle. Yes, well, Moose got sick in early January and we, um, we knew something was not quite right with us, so we took her to our local vet and Um, We have a fantastic local vet practice up here. But um, we got in that day, which was really good, and our local vet diagnosed her with an immune problem where she was actually attacking her own blood cells. And they suggested Moose goes to Melbourne straight away, not in a couple of hours' time, straight away. And that actually saved Moose's life. Uh, We went to Australia... Advanced Vet Care in Kensington, and they were so professional. um, It's just like walking into an emergency ward of a hospital. But they are, all of them are getting smashed by the amount of work that's out there. And there's, we need to try and make people aware that we need to do something to get more vets to their regional areas. And also to metropolitan areas, I think.
2: Mm. And Chris, did you have to travel to Melbourne because there was a shortage or there was pressure on the vets in Ballarat? Or was that just a normal kind of a situation whereby, if there's a complicated problem with an animal, like, or you know, like when there's a complicated problem with humans, that they might have to travel to Melbourne to get um, more specific care?
3: Ah, uh, yes, we were aware that um, our local vets couldn't handle the problem that moose had. Um, this was, um, we knew that we had to go. Um, she had to have blood transfusions, plasma transfusions, and around-the-clock care with, um, her own dedicated nurse is looking after it 24-7. Oh it does
1: sound like a hospital. And I know that this is quite specific, but I guess it's raised to us the, the bigger issue. We spoke to uh, to the vet that you're referencing there and they were too busy today. <laughs> no surprises there to be able to speak with us. But they told us on average they've got a four-week wait list at the moment and that they just cannot keep up with demand from locals in Ballarat. Is that something that you're seeing and hearing, Chris, The people in the Ballarat region just can't get their, their animals Whatever they may be, in to see a vet in a, a short period of time.
3: Uh, yes, I'm. I'm sure that is the case. I know our vets um, have up to six practices in Ballarat, and um, they are, offer a wonderful service. And you can get into them of a, you know, if it's an emergency and stuff like that. Um, but generally, it is quite difficult to get in for a regular grease and oil. I suppose you'd call it. Um, but it's. Um, <laughs> A grease it's, and oil, I like a, that. It's the same in Melbourne too, I think. Yeah. I think it's it's all over. And these people do a fantastic job under so much pressure all the time. Um, you know, I go home five o'clock of the night when I finish my day these people might start at the same time as me, but they're still going seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. It's, yeah. it's crazy stuff.
1: Jane in Ballarat sent a text saying, oh, I hope I get to see moose in Ballarat. I've always wanted a Columbus Spaniel. What is a Columbus Spaniel? Can you describe moose to us, Chris?
3: Um, she's a beautiful dog. She's, if you can imagine, a, a Cocker Spaniel on steroids. Um, she's a bit bigger. Uh, she's pure white with a long tail and gold flicks in her ears and on her on her nose. Um, beautiful dog and we almost lost her we've almost lost her three times in the last five weeks she was back in oh. hospital on Sunday with severe gastro and the guys at advanced vet care, all the nurses all the doctors down there um, they saved her life once again oh,
1: well we wish Chris. Moose all the best
2: yeah we do and yeah, hopefully she can overcome this, um, this blood disorder and that latest bout of gastro, thank you so much Chris
3: Not a problem at all. Thanks for talking with me.
2: No worries. Chris from Ballarat. And it just, Rish, it just highlights how important these animals are in our lives. There are so many of these. Vets, companion animals that are just so important to, to people's lives.
1: It's interesting. There's a text here saying there are vet shortages across all of Australia. I've actually been told it's worldwide. And as you've mentioned, many are leaving the industry due to stress. But then there's another one that says, John Owen, Rich, come on, have a little bit of perspective. Nobody dies if you can't get a vet. People die if you can't get a doctor. It's not the same thing. That's from Charlie yeah. and Hamilton. Yeah. And Charlie's referencing there the idea of Us giving or the government giving vets incentives to up and move. So, no, it's not a matter of life or death for the person, but it could be a matter of life or death death for that animal
2: yes yes someone making a similar point on the text line as well saying well they should only get incentives if they start um, getting pedicare so similar to medicare um, to make vet prices cheaper they cost more than a doctor to go and see a vet Uh, phil from lilydale and text line says says my niece has very high grades and has just been knocked back from studying at university to become a vet why so, if there's a shortage, says Phil. Mm. And, yeah, so let's have a chat now with Alan from Etang. Is that Alan coming in there? Hello, Alan. Hello, Jono. Yeah. Now, um, you've got a bit of an issue. What, what did you want to talk about?
4: Well, no, what, what we were talking to one of the professionals that we consult. Um, the problem is that trying to attract a doctor to a town in the country or a vet, or uh, either male or female, is they, they often have partners and their partners are employed and they like to have their job as well. Uh, and the problem that this um, professional pointed out to us was that the vet, the, the vet or the doctor is quite happy to come, but they won't because the partner hasn't got a job to come to. So that becomes an issue.
1: I wonder how much of that much of that is changing now, though, with COVID and just work flexibility and working well, from home.
4: Obviously, hasn't changed because it's mm. an issue having getting these professionals to the regions.
1: What about mm. the idea, Alan, that people just there's been multiple texts here saying, "Come on, get some perspective. Pets are animals. It's a luxury item. Is it just that we don't see getting vets to regional areas as important?
4: Uh, well, I'm not particularly concerned because I don't have any pets. Um, about that, but getting doctors to the regions is the same issue, exactly mm. the same problem.
2: Yeah, thank you, Alan, for making that point. I think, I think you're right. Like, if you're going to attract anyone to a regional area, you need to get them plugged into the community. You need to get them happy. You need to make sure that their family's happy and healthy, and that there's a school for you know any kids to go to, and that there are jobs available for everyone in the family. So, um, yeah, spot on, Alan. Kate is in Melbourne now. Kate, your son is a vet. What's his experience?
5: Um, yeah, so he studied um, for eight years um, and dedicated student passed with honours. ducks of his year, got out into the to the workforce. Um, so underpaid, so overworked, so unappreciated. Um, his partner is also a vet. Um, same sort of story. So I think the general um, consensus is that you're a vet and you're wealthy and. You know, mm. I shouldn't have to pay for you to save my dog and the pressure. And these kids, they're, they're dedicated to animals. They've spent their life, you know, eight years is a long time to study it. It's a it's, it's very hard industry to get into that way with marks and dedication and just the lack of respect for how brilliant these people are. Like there's, not, there's one human being for a doctor. With animals, there's so many different. They need to know every single animal from a dog to a cat to a horse you know, they're very passionate people and they're just... The industry is... There's a lot of suicide. He's had so many friends that have not been able to cope with the underpaying and abuse and, and, it, and
1: it's a, So do you think that's bad. more of the issue than, than incentives to move to regional Victoria? Do you think this is... I mean, we had a text before saying this is actually a worldwide issue. People just don't want to work in the industry.
5: Yeah. Yeah, I honestly do. Like, he... he um, wanting to be a vet since the age of fourteen. First of all, he wanted to be a doctor. He changed to a vet because he decided that he didn't want to work with people. But you know what? Animals come with people, and some of them are quite obnoxious, and some of the abuse—it's—it's disheartening when you know um, what's happening. But, but just—I think he would say to any kid that wanted to do it now, don't do it. Go into yeah. something else. Not it, do it, and that's the problem.
2: Is there any kind of incentive that, just while we've got you, do you think there would be any type of incentive that would encourage him to move to a regional area?
5: I think so. Like, if you, if you said you're going to wipe off his hex debt, like, he's got a $90,000 hex debt um, hovering over his head before he's even bought a house. You know, he's in his late twenties now and he's behind everybody else because he dedicated that eight years to study. He moved away into state from home to, to do it. He was so dedicated, he left his partner here. So she was down here studying, he was up in Queensland. You know, it was it was a hard time but he was so dedicated and he you know, he passed with honors and, and, and got ducks of his year and he's just so um, got so much talent and to see as as a mother to see him to pull away from it when he can give so much to so many people. Eight years. Heartbreaking, yeah. It really is. Like, if you could get rid of that hex debt and say to him, like, you go up to the country for five years, I'm pretty sure that would be a serious thing for him to consider.
1: Kate, we wish you and your son all the best. I mean, we did a program on this back in May, sort of 10, 11 months ago, John O, talking about people leaving the industry. And since then, it has actually worsened. But you know what's interesting, right, is that last time we spoke about this, the love and appreciation for vets that came through was so strong and people really appreciating their work. That's kind of shifted a little bit today. Yeah, there are so yep. many messages coming in saying this is such a first world problem get over it. Uh, oh, for the love of God, if you don't want to be a vet then just get out of the industry. Oh, I dear. wasn't actually expecting the pushback to be quite as great No, that. I would consider that vets are a vital part of every community.
2: And I wonder why that is. Like I wonder if if that's partly because of the ch- And we've had people criticising the cost of what it, you know, what it costs to go to a vet. So is that why people are angry about what it costs? But, yeah, there's, there is a bit of pushback. I didn't expect that. No,
1: either. and this thing is we're not just talking about cute little fluffy dogs and, and no. bunnies either. In regional and rural Victoria, you're dealing with cattle and livestock, people's no. livelihoods and the, the range of skills that you have on. Wow, I'm quite surprised. Let's have a chat with Sam Snelling. He's the Director uh, of the uh, Veterinarian Advanced Vet Care in Geelong Animal Emergency. Are you seeing a rising number of people making a, I guess what's a, a midnight dash to your emergency department, Sam?
0: Oh, hi, Rochelle. Thanks for uh, this important conversation. And yes, we certainly have seen an increase in caseload over the last two years. Uh, the emergency centres in particular have been uh, affected a lot by staffing shortages, and we've had our our share of that. But the caseload uh, and the emergencies that are occurring on the weekends and the evenings just keep
2: coming. Okay, so incentives. Would incentives work to get people to regional areas and to get people into the profession?
0: Well, yes, it's tempting to think that applying an incentive will kind of change that uh, or someone's willingness to move to the country Um, and I think it's a complicated problem an incentive an incentive would help but many of the graduates are city-based already so it's quite a jump for someone to move to the country only one of the veterinary schools is situated in the country and that's the Charles Sturt campus in Wagga Um, so a smaller percentage of the, the annual graduates are coming from country areas anyway. Uh, but I think I was listening to Kate talking about her son, which is an all-too-familiar story um, of young vets in the industry and uh, considering uh, the government, obviously, up to their decision-making, but wiping or giving hex debt relief uh, certainly could be one way to get a new graduate to make that jump to move from their city base out to the country.
1: Yeah, I mean, a $90,000 Hex debt. I mean, she was talking about her son doing eight years. We're going to hear from uh, another student in just a moment. It's coming up to her 10th year. Sam, stay with us. Helen's called from Alexandra. Hey, Helen, what did you want to say? Um,
6: hi,
7: I live in the country and I have um, cattle and horses and we have fantastic vets out here. But one thing I've observed when vet students come out to do experience with the vets that. If they're city-based, they don't have the skills to deal with the large animals, particularly horses, and I feel an incentive scheme to get um, people from the city to the country. They may not have the skills or Mm. the um, confidence to work in a rural area with a mixed um, practice, whereas they're more suited to um, dogs and cats and small animals. And And have you had had that experience directly, Helen? Oh, yes, I, I certainly and choose which vets i get um for my animals because you want to have the ones that have the most experience with the large animals and and you're quite happy to go to a different vet who has experience with dogs and cats like they have a mixed experience because it's such a broad um Hmm. uh, skill level that they have to have and to have you know really good skills in a broad range of areas is difficult.
2: Yeah, there's a lot to know, Helen. Thank you for your call. And uh, Jenny on the text line making a similar point, saying vets in rural, rural regions don't treat just one do- dog or cat. They treat herds of cattle, sheep, chickens, alpacas, horses. Those, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot more than you would mm. think. Uh, also on the text line, this one says, those callers who've pitted human life to animal life, they're thinking in a very narrow fashion. Pet animals are family coupled with farm animals that are a livelihood for a farmer. And Mim in Melbourne says it's a profession, not an industry. The loss of understanding of the difference uh, stands alongside the lack of respect for yeah, veterinarians. Yeah, that's my
1: fault. And look, I have used the word industry and I don't say that out of lack of respect. Far yeah. far from it, you know. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. reason why we're talking about this is due to nothing but respect. Sam Snelling is with you as well, Director and Veterinarian of Advanced Vet Care uh, and from Geelong Animal Emergency. Would you agree with some of our callers with Helen, for example, that if we send out young vets, we give them these incentives, they take it up and they move to regional Victoria, that they just don't have that work experience to deal with things like horses and and, and cows and, you know, live uh, cattle and stock?
0: Yeah, look, uh, there's an element of truth in that for sure, Rochelle. Um, one thing to say though, in everyone's veterinary course uh, there are rotations and uh, there are clinical rotations that the students need to go out and spend a few weeks on a farm. Now, that obviously doesn't replace a lifetime of growing up around these animals, um, but it also doesn't preclude someone being able to get those skills really rapidly once they move to a country area. Um, And within six to 12 months, um, you know, the increased familiarity with the larger breeds uh, doesn't mean that if you're a city-born and bred vet that you won't make a, a very effective country practitioner. Um, The days are changing as well where maybe 15, 20 years ago there'd be mixed animal veterinarians where they would work in a country town and that was certainly my first job uh, in Mildura in the the mid to late 90s where we did everything, cattle, sheep, horses and then small animals in the afternoons. Uh, That's a much more rare position now where most vets will either go down a small animal pathway Um, or be an equine vet or a cattle vet or a fish vet. Um, So the profession itself is getting more and more specialised and that mixed practitioner isn't really available anymore.
2: Mm. And we've spoken about potentially wiping hex debts, but there are a whole lot of other solutions, potential solutions. I'm going to throw a few at you now, Sam, and you can just kind of just pick up on the ones that you think might work. So what about rotating vets through practices two at a time so they've got someone else to rely on? What do you think?
0: Uh, there's, I know the AVA, which is our professional body, is working uh, to develop a mentoring uh, scheme. Um, I don't think the practicalities of that, uh, Jono, would be particularly easy to pull off, um, especially in such a tight employment market anyway. Um, and unfortunately, it's a very kind of private uh, profession in that, yes, there's some government jobs, but it's difficult to... Determine or predetermine where people work. That's very much just left left up to the practice and the individual clinician.
2: Okay, all right. So maybe that one might not work. What about um what about the federal government listing vets as an essential industry so that or essential profession, whichever Mm. way you want to look at it? So overseas workers on on special category visas could fill the void um to help out the shortage. What do you think?
0: That would definitely help. And there's a long history of especially European uh, vets coming to Australia for a period of time, often shortly after they graduate and they're they're on a working holiday of sorts as well. And uh, my understanding is that vets uh, have been, or at least it's been considered that they'll be added to a preferred skill migration list already. Um, and, yeah, with increased international travel starting, that will really uh, go part way to solving the issue. It certainly will help, but not solve the issue.
1: And just finally, Sand, there's a text here saying, my husband was a vet in rural South Australia for 40 years. It was always a problem to get new graduates to go further than an hour's drive from the city. Is there... I mean, do you need to do regional placement? I'm thinking of being a police officer. You know, you have to do regional placements in areas as a part of uh, graduating. I'm not sure whether that's the case for young doctors. But is it a part of graduating that, or should it be, that you need to do a regional or rural placement?
0: I think uh, that's the... um, It is in almost all courses. I can't speak for every university in Australia, but certainly in the Melbourne University course I was involved with and my Sydney University course that I went through... Uh, We did have to go and spend time on agricultural properties and part of our rotation as well needed to be in mixed practice or large animal practice. So each student will have been exposed to that area of the industry during their training. Um, Another solution I could put forward really is to try and open up university entrance um, spots for country kids. Um, And, you know, there's some levers there perhaps that can be used to just, because the the, uh, TR uh, to get into the course is really high. But if there's some way of um, allowing uh, country students that may not have achieved the uh, pinnacle of that mark to um, undertake training um, with an understanding that they will return to the country for a period of time, um, maybe that's just another thing that we could use to help.
2: That's the um. That's it's it's in the nineties, isn't it? That the tour that you need to get to get into be a vet. It's it's pretty high, isn't
0: it? It is, Jono. Yeah, I don't know exactly, but it'd be in the
2: vicinity of ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah. Um. Yeah. To get to gain entry. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a potential solution as well, Sam. Thank you so much for talking through uh, some some ideas and some potential solutions. Thanks for that, Sam.
0: Uh, no worries. Thanks for uh, talking about this important uh, issue. It really is a problem, and I, I do understand people's commentary comparing us to healthcare. care, um, but certainly in the country, vets play such an important role in our agricultural and food production systems as well, um, mm. and that shouldn't be forgotten when you're talking about
2: incentives to try and get vets out into those important areas. Uh, true. Good point, Sam. Thank you. Suzanne's in Gumbauer. G'day, Suzanne.
6: Hi, how are you?
2: Good, good. What, what's your thoughts?
6: Um, well, we live in Northern Victoria. We're on a dairy farm and our daughter has always wanted to be a vet for her whole life. Very passionate. She worked so hard um, through university, well, for a start to get into university. She's already done five years of study. She has another three years of study to go When she relocated to Sydney to do to complete her studies in vet medicine up there. Um, we just worry for her future because we know that she's going to come out of these studies with a huge hex debt. Um, she was prepared for that. We know that it's a high stress environment. Um, there's a lot of pressures on them because of um, not just, you know, the diversity of the industry that they've got to work in and the knowledge that they've got to have and maintain but also the pressures that they have with working with, I think one of the other ladies mentioned it, um, with owners and um, pet owners and things like that. Mm. So, you know, we just worry what's ahead of her. Suzanne, and how is people. it different,
1: do you think, there's a few texts saying, well, come on, hang on a second, my child has studied seven years to become a teacher and they're low paid and, and going into a highly stressful environment as well. Do you think it's different for those going into the field of medicine, you know, to become vets? Oh, God, yes.
6: Yeah, look, they they said to us when... When our daughter was looking at this industry, they said, if you're coming into this thinking that you're going to make money, you need to change your mind because it's just not what happens in this field. They don't get the remuneration that those other industries get. They work, you know, you can't work and study part-time to be a vet. You know, the, the study light is just so intense And they've got to be so dedicated and focused because of the range of the skills that they need. And, you know, we rely, we're a commercial dairy farm. Um, We rely on our local vets for our livelihood. They're an integral part of our team. We know that they're underpaid. We know that they're overworked. They're working ridiculously long hours and yet they go... You know, we ring them and we say we've got a sick calf or a, a sick cow or, you know, and they're here as soon as they can be. And, you know, we just appreciate them so yeah. much. And it's really Is that part of the reason here. why your
1: daughter moved into the profession, do you oh, think, God, watching yes. the, yeah, the vets yeah. on the farm?
6: Yes, yes. Yeah. Her idol growing up was our local vet. He yeah. was just amazing. And, you know, you think um, – and now, you know, just as an aside, you know, with all creatures great, great and small, the, um, the veterinary show that's come back onto TV – and, you know, it's it's just, it's such a, the industry itself, I just feel it's so unappreciated at the moment. And some of those phone calls that you're getting or those text messages that you said you'd received, um, it, it's quite upsetting to, to hear that vets aren't appreciated by... Yeah. They are in some
1: others. If it makes you feel any better, there's lots that, that say like oh, what okay. you said, Suzanne, that they're kind of a, a part of the family, John. Yeah,
2: that's right. And see, now you're a vet, a pet owner now, Rochelle, as well. So <laughs> you, you're going to have to come into contact. Don't with, make fun with of vets. me and my fish. What? I was You've talking got a to them this morning. You've got like, a goldfish.
1: You're a girls. pet owner, so you
2: might may well need the services <laughs> of a vet. We may. Uh, if, if you if you want to have your say today around the vet shortage in your community and generally, as we've heard today, it's a worldwide problem. This is not just a regional Victorian thing. This is everywhere. Uh, you can should vets receive the same incentives as doctors to move to regional Victoria on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria.
1: This is the
7: Conversation Hour.
1: Talking about whether or not vets should be getting incentives to move to live and work in regional Victoria as vets. Chris has sent us a text, Rochelle and O. for close to 20 years on the farm, it's virtually impossible to get the services of a vet for large animals at the moment. And some talking about comparing it to teachers saying, well, you know, teachers, do they have to do surgery out in the paddock? Teachers do work hard, but I don't see them at midnight sticking things up a large animal. But we spoke to, and this is a young vet or someone that's studying to become a vet. She's in her 10th year of study, Jono, isn't she? And we spoke to her uh, back in May. Her name is Naima Todd, absolutely loves the profession. And we started out by asking her, the reason why we couldn't speak to her live is that she's too busy. Yep, <laughs> she's yep, out on yep. placements at the moment. So we spoke to her late last week and we started out by asking her if she would move to the regions if there were better incentives.
8: I definitely would. Um, I've always had an interest in doing a mixed practice work, um, especially in rural communities when they need it. Um, but it is harder to find students. In, in um, my experience from people that I've talked to in my cohort, it's, they would like incentives to be a thing for us to be given something to go out into these rural communities. Yeah, I think it would be a lot easier to find people to be vets in rural communities if we did have incentives.
2: What sort of incentives would you like? What sort of incentives would make you move to the country?
8: Um, I've talked to a couple of um, my cohort and they have said, you know, some kind of payment in forms of our rent, if we're renting up there, accommodation, um, some form of payment scheme for our loans because obviously those are massive for our often six, six years and over degree because you've got the Bachelor of Science or Agriculture before you actually do the Doctor of Veterinary Medicine. So I think some kind of form of mm-hmm. incentive to pay, um, pay off a little bit of our, of our debt would be beneficial
1: well, Naima, these are the incentives that are offered to young doctors. So we know that yes, r- yes. rural and regional GPs is a huge issue as well. And as we've discovered today, it's the same. There's the problems are there for vets in regional and rural Victoria as well. So does it kind of annoy you that maybe the, the doctors are getting their hex paid off or are getting twenty, thirty thousand dollars 30000 cash bonuses and that vets are being overlooked?
8: I def- It definitely annoys me. Um and it annoys a lot of people that I talk to because, you know, we're, we're doing the same things we're often doing a little bit more as well because our, our um, clients can't talk to us. We're basically just basing it on, on what we feel on, on their bodies and what we see on their signs. And we don't have, yeah, our patients speaking to us saying, oh, I hurt here.
2: I was going to say, does it make you question your choices? Does it make you reconsider becoming a vet?
8: Oh, definitely not. No, definitely not. I still have a massive passion for the industry and to be able to actually help animals every day. It definitely doesn't um, stop me from wanting to do that.
1: Yeah. This is something that you've already considered. I mean, you were, you've always actually been open to working regionally. You've done uh, stints in rural Queensland as well yes. where you've done some placements. So rural and regional opportunities have been something on your radar. What if we were to make this a positive conversation? You know, what are some of the things that would be great about being a regional vet, do you think, that would be different to being in the suburbs?
8: I think you get to have a lot more range of the cases that come through and the animals that come through. Because if you're in a small animal clinic, you'll see mainly dogs and cats and it'll be lots of joint problems, lots of ear infections coming through. But when you're out in a rural community, you have the cattle, the sheep, the horses, and but you also have the dogs and cats that, that come through. But I think there's more of a range of what you will be able to do more reproductive stuff on cattle as well and I think that's a lot more interesting to a lot of the students but it's just the incentives that need to be maybe adjusted a little bit to get them out there.
2: And we've spoken previously about some of the concerns from young vets working in the country and they've spoken about sometimes, particularly female vets speaking about um, the, the fears for their safety and being called out to farms in the middle of the night and not particularly feeling really safe. Is that something that you take into consideration?
8: Yes, definitely. I, it's always, safety's always on your first priority in your mind. And um, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable going to a... Um, a farm by myself at night. I definitely wouldn't. I would like to have someone come out with me, like a buddy system, where we have two vets coming or or a nurse coming with me. Um, no, I definitely wouldn't feel safe doing it by myself um, on on call night shift. No.
1: I wonder if this is something that's going to change anytime soon in terms of getting incentives. As we've heard today, in places like Ballarat, you know, there's a four week wait to get animals looked at. People are having to leg it, you know, to, to Melbourne, to emergency care. So it's something that needs to actually be addressed and, and fixed pretty soon, Naima, you would think. If this was something that was announced, how quickly do you think that young students like yourself might pack up your bags and, and move to a, a fine place in regional Victoria?
8: I think if if the incentives were announced and it was changed, I think it would greatly increase the chance of students going out to rural communities because yeah I, I feel like my, my, myself I would definitely pick up my bag straight away. I'm already interested in rural, rural communities but if I had that extra incentive that like my choice would be made up for me yeah. um, a little bit more um, yeah and I think I think a lot of students are like that.
2: Naima, best of luck for the rest of your studies and um, here's hoping, fingers crossed, you do end up in regional Victoria because we need good people like you.
8: Thank you.
2: That's Naima Todd, who studied for 10 years to become a vet and is just on the cusp of doing it. She still is passionate about wanting to do it, which is fantastic, but she knows that there are quite a few hurdles to overcome. That's what we're talking about today and whether we should help young vets overcome some of those
1: hurdles and maybe put in place some incentives to make it just that little bit easier. A text here from Leah saying, humans are lucky, cows being flown by helicopter to hospitals. We won't see that. Yes, of course they need incentives, they are bloody heroes. <laughs> and yep. another says, My neighbour is an equine vet. It's not unusual for her to head out to a job at 2 a.m., 4 a.m., coming back hours later. I salute her and everyone that can do this for the love of animals.
2: Yeah, that's right. Michael's in Alexandra and has an interesting perspective. G'day, Michael.
1: Yeah, good morning. Yeah, look, I haven't
9: heard all of the discussion this morning, but. Uh from what I've heard, there seemed to be a fair bit of focus on the vets. So i just put a, a different perspective on it. I've been in farming most of my life and have worked around mostly with cattle. I've seen a lot of vets being, not expected, but that's sort of, effectively, that's what I'm saying, expected to work in situations that are by far 100% safe and sound for, for their sort of personal side of it. Um, I think I think the farming industry... Is is very sort of slow to come to the table as, as far as spending money on infrastructure, safe infrastructure for uh, for people to work in. Um, like what, and, yeah, Michael? Think, what
1: do you mean? Can you give us an example?
9: Oh, pretty much just your, your cattle yards and crushes and raceways and things like that. Um, they tend to be uh, they tend to be set up to do just. Do the job and that's it. Um, and then when there's a problem with an animal, you, there's, there's vets called in. And and they aren't they don't all the crushes don't have vet sections that are that are safe to work in. Um, there's a lot of beef production now that that was dairy, uh, where cows clearly be dairy cows behave very differently to beef cattle. Um, and yeah, the setups are not necessarily the same. And is it um,
1: commonplace? I actually hadn't. Thought of, I mean, that just shows my ignorance on this. That there should be a vet section on a working farm. How common is it? Because I mean, I have this visualization. I guess a vet's just working out in the paddock. I mean, should there be a dedicated area? Is that what you're saying?
9: There. Look, I'm not. I'm not an expert on cattle crushes by any means, but there. Are, there is a whole range of different cattle crushes. The the basic is uh, just enough to hold an animal in, and then with some have got head bile, some don't. Uh, some have a section at the back that is safe for a vet to work in to either attend a prolapse or pull a calf or whatever. But there are a lot of crushes that don't have that, and this is what I'm getting at, that the vets have to then make that decision, do I take the job um or not, and if they were if they were being one hundred percent responsible to themselves and their and their staff, they would probably refuse two-thirds of the jobs.
2: Mm, and yeah. I think
9: that's something that, that is going to have an effect on yeah. the, the availability of vets.
2: That's a really interesting perspective and a good point, point, Michael. Thank you for making that because I reckon vets would be faced with that, like we all are in all of our jobs, that kind of conundrum, that decision of, okay, well, I have I know what I'm supposed to do. Should I push the boundaries a little bit just so I can help this animal and this person? Um, should yeah. I just ignore that training just slightly?
1: And it's I guess it's playing on that whole concept of people getting to this industry because they love animals. And yeah. whether or yeah. not that fundamentally has been some of the problems here with under payment or just expecting vets to to work under certain conditions that we wouldn't expect other people to do.
2: Yeah, the other thing is vets will often drive, in a country will drive a long way to treat an animal and then if they get there and um, as um, Michael was talking about there the, the cattle crush doesn't have a little area for a vet to stand in I mean, do they, are they going to drive, you know, an hour and a half back and just not treat the animal because it's not a safe yeah. workplace? Like, it's a re- that's a really tricky thing.
1: And the idea of, as we heard from Naema before, if you're a young vet and if you're a female vet, then you're going to want a buddy system. So you're talking about yeah. two people going out and doing that as well. So you can see how complicated it gets. Dr Hugh Miller is the president of the Victorian Division of the AVA, the Australian Veterinary Association. Hugh, you've been listening to a lot of this. I guess first things first, do vets need incentives, financial incentives? to fill some of these huge gaps that we have in regional and rural Victoria?
10: Yes. Well, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, it's not all just about financial issues, as we've heard. But I think, um, you know, if if you sort of assess all all those factors and you throw in the fact that there really is no financial incentive at all, in fact, probably a disincentive to work in rural areas, then, you know, I think it's critical that there are these financial incentives created. I think part of the problem also is that, you know, young graduating veterinarians, it's a little bit the nature of veterinary uh, courses these days, they haven't necessarily had the exposure or or the understanding of what rural uh, veterinary practice can actually offer, notwithstanding the fact that it, yes, it can be difficult, hard work and, you know, very, very strange hours and so on but so I think if there was financial incentives particularly for younger graduates to move to rural areas and give practice a go then I think it would it would clearly make a very substantial difference and in the countries who've tried this uh, it clearly has made a difference it's not the only solution but it is certainly a, a key part of it from from the point of view of the profession
2: We've had a couple of people on the text line today, Dr Hugh, saying, oh, uh, vets aren't as important as healthcare and medical professionals and therefore don't deserve the incentives. But if you think about there's been some tick-borne diseases making an appearance appearance in Western Australia, Um, how serious is it it if we have diseases like that coming into remote regional parts of Australia and there are no vets there to treat conditions like that?
10: (coughs) Oh, look critically serious. And look, um, biosecurity, which I guess is the modern name for it, but um, it, it is just so important. I mean, and, and vets are in the front line of our disease surveillance system, particularly in rural practice. and And early detection of new or emerging exotic, unusual diseases really depends on vets being called to investigate problems on farms. I mean, that's how it'll get picked up early. And early detection is just so critical to being able to effectively respond and to minimize the impacts that some of these many of these diseases mm. can have and it's the routine vet consultations routine as they may be that provide this frontline surveillance system so it's critically important
1: that's an area that i hadn 't really thought about. I mean, how quickly does that need to be rectified? i mean we're talking about some some really problematic diseases that get picked up that are transferred through animals uh, that, that can shut down right. entire yeah. industries
10: yes indeed, and in fact our you know our livestock industries in australia um, you know to their to their credit have developed um, you know very significant premium overseas markets and um but by the same token, uh, access to those markets, they're very vulnerable to disease outbreaks. So um, uh, not only are some of these diseases, you know, have public health uh, implications, but they have huge trade implications. And whilst you could argue, well, trade is trade, um, a lot of rural Australia depends on active, um, you know, export, meeting export markets. You know, that Mm -hmm. brings a lot of the, uh, you know, that's, underpins a lot of the financial viability of agriculture in australia and so um it, it just adds to the to the importance of having strong veterinary presence in rural rural australia
2: yeah i think leon from terang can kind of back that up g'day leon what do you want to say good morning
11: yeah um, uh, dr miller's just stolen a bit of my thunder but um <laughs> I was sorry about that. To, uh, well um, he should, have been the former chief vet of Victoria. We'd be right across this, I would have thought, um, anyway. But anyway, what I was going to say is there was an argument before about human health and animal health and, and the, the separation. They actually work together because yeah. a lot of diseases cross over. So vet, rural, a strong veterinary service in the region could be picking up early early finds and surveillance systems of human diseases, of human consequence. So it's really, really important that we have a strong veterinary Mm. and do everything to support where you have close animal-human interaction in intensive livestock industries where we're dealing with lots of animals in
1: intensive situations, and that potential exists. So that's... Leon, it's such a good point. And I think Mm -hmm. you're right. And it's referring back to, I guess, some of those texts saying, come on, what does it matter? It's not as important as humans. Hugh, you would agree there. I mean, Leon is bang on.
10: Leon, Leon is bang on. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and I'm sorry, I stole his thunder, but, uh, but he stolen a bit of mine. But well, no, Leon you, is quite right. And look, you think is, about um,
2: a- like Hendra virus, or you know, any of those zootropic viruses. Exactly. I mean, you think about COVID nineteen. Exactly. It's, it's yeah, come, come from an just, animal.
10: that's right. If ever we needed a lesson in in um, understanding that uh, you know most new human diseases come from animals. In fact, virtually all do. And um, so, there's this really strong public good component of veterinary services, particularly in rural areas. and so I, that's why we believe I mean that that further uh, under underpins the need for government to step in with with uh, various subsidy schemes, and even things like a hex a hex you know forgiving of hex debt uh, for those who want who are you know, prepared to move and work. yeah. Veterinarians in rural Victoria. It's, I wonder uh, how likely that is
1: to happen. There's a there's another text here from Tess Hugh that says grow vets in the country, invest where they live. Is that part of the problem as well?
10: Um, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I, I think it's part of the sort of compounding issue, and um, uh, so you mm-hmm. know, uh, and, and indeed as we were saying before, the the. You know the fact that veterinary services underpin, uh, you know, a, a strong and healthy, uh, you know, industry in rural areas um, has a huge fly-on-effect to all sorts of other rural businesses. Mm. And so, yeah, and so the the whole viability of uh, of, of you know rural uh, rural life um, it's not totally dependent, of course, but it's. You know it's part of that really important mix and why we there, think again is there is market failure that government should step in and assist
2: yeah the very very important cogs in in rural life vets are there's a text here saying the vet shortage is the result of the vets not having a union this is a work strike people are leaving the profession to do something easier and better paying do we need a vets union
10: well I think the the Australian veterinary Association it may not be a vets union but I mean Clearly, you know, a, a big part of our focus is on advocating, uh, understanding, and then advocating for the the profession. And and at the moment, the absolute key issue for the association, and we believe for the profession, uh, and they are interrelated, is is mental health, and the um, the shortages. Of veterinarians uh, very closely interrelated. Yeah,
1: Just finally, Hugh, because we know you've got a prior commitment and that you need to get going. We are on the cusp of uh, two elections, a, a state and a federal election. We know that the AVA, uh, the AVA has been calling for government assistance here and you've just spoken about it multiple times. Are we likely mm. to see any change in the near future?
10: Well, look, I'm, I don't think I have the necessary crystal ball but we believe the case is so strong uh and you know this is not a sort of partisan thing uh the case is so strong we believe it's uh, you know it, it's so necessary that we would very much hope that, that that the sort of things that we're advocating for w- will occur and i mean let's let's be uh, look at the hex the hex situation i mean government's forgiving hex debt is not, is not a real cost it, you know it's a sunk cost and they're not writing out a check uh, they're, they're simply forgiving some debt with a huge payback we believe so mm. th- these things are very possible they're very mm. achievable and um, and you know uh, improve funding in an analysis in education and training events to increase their exposure students exposure to rural and regional. Uh, Victoria yeah. or Australia. These and are all it, things that are so doable. Literally. And it'll
2: be something that the AVA, the Australian Veterinary Association, will no doubt be pushing for in the election campaign. But, Rish, I'm not sure if it's going to be one of the key election no, issues. No, I can't see it being up there. Unfortunately. Stage. No. Yeah. Uh, Renska is in Diamond Creek. G'day, Renska. Hello. Go ahead. Um, yes, without entering into the discussion as to whether. Dogs and
5: cats, I'm mainly thinking about dogs and cats and small animals, whether they are valuable or not valuable enough or more valuable or less valuable than human life, they definitely play a part in human health as well, um, in the sense of being an assistant dog or a companion dog. But beside that, with COVID and so many people moving to the region, um, in a way, having vets there is an essential service, just as a school is or a GP is. And so if the government wants to support um, people living out in the region, then
1: it is, I believe it is a service that yeah. needs to be helped along as well. I know. Well, I think Hugh would agree with you. Dr Hugh Miller, we thank you for your time today. Thank you very much. He's the President of the Victorian Division, the AVA, the Australian Veterinary Association. know there's a text here saying, uh, I live in a farm in the regions. I have one child who's done medicine, another who has become a vet. Both work really hard. But the rubbish the vet has to deal with is very different. Medicare shields people from the real cost of human health care. Vets have to charge the full cost of care and people don't appreciate these costs. Vets are crucial for optimising animal welfare and managing our biosecurity. They are enormously valuable profession and we need to support them. And those Medicare costs that this texter is talking about is a part of the incentives that many within the industry are calling for as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And after um, earlier in the program, you were talking about some of those quite brutal comparisons between healthcare and and vet care. There has been quite a few people texting in in support of vets. This one says, vets are angels in disguise. The care and love that they've provided our precious animals over the years has never wavered and is astounding given the challenging nature of their job. They absolutely should be treated the same as human doctors, Mm -hmm. especially given the incredibly high level of pet ownership. In Australia, and that's the other thing. I mean, we kind of touched on it briefly, but so many more of us have taken a pet, have um, bought a pet during during lockdowns and during COVID. Absolutely.
1: If you've missed any part of today's program, or this is something that's really interested you, we actually did a program on this back in May, and there are a lot of other areas, including safety for women within this industry, and whether or not that's a reason why they're not moving to regional and working in regional and rural Victoria. Go to the ABC Listen app, subscribe to the Conversation Hour podcast, and you can always email us as well if you have a person or an idea that you'd like to share with us our email address conversationhour at abc.net.au till we speak to you next time take care and speak soon